0: This is ASEN, the Association for the Study of Ethnicity and Nationalism. To find out
1: more, visit ASON.ac.uk So, it's over right to you. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, to you
0: again and uh, good evening and welcome. And uh, not so far, as you say in words. Quite um, so. Quite so, yeah. <laughs> So uh, it's great to, to be here at the LSE. The is in hosting this event, and what we want to talk about tonight, as you see, is is a lot to do with the current debates, the debates on Welsh nationalism, debates on British nationalism, and um, actually the evolving nation state and uh, transformations within Europe. And one of the things that uh, that um, uh, Sid Morgan and myself have been looking at the last couple of years is um, transformations within europe and um developments within uh, national and also regional uh perceptions and ideas and identities within europe and as we know identity is a um a major topic for discussion uh not just here but also in uh, in uh, in many parts of the world i would say probably most parts of the world uh, these days so we want to this this is a sort of beginning of um, in a sense uh, a project. We've been we've been looking a lot at uh, different areas. We've been comparing Wales. We've been working mostly on Wales and comparing it to uh, uh, some of the other nations, um, sub-state uh, nations, smaller nations, however you want to refer to them uh, within Europe, such as Catalonia, or Flanders, for example. But obviously, nations that are um, we're getting to hear a lot more about these days and. Uh, um, nations that uh, many people believe uh, will be uh, full member states of bodies like the European Union and bodies like the United Nations in the years ahead so one of the things that's, that's interested us uh, so and we'll get, get on to talk about this in a minute is is obviously trying to place some of these ideas and sort of placing Welsh nationalism uh, within this debate and within this uh, um, this current milieu um, so what I'm going to do hopefully this will, I'm sure it will. Uh, the outline, in a sense, this is very broad and very rough, but I, I'll go through it now. Um, at, talking a little bit about Welsh nationalism, talking about, about British nationalism, and then One Nation Labour, which I'm sure you're aware of, is the uh, uh, current project <coughs> that the Labour Party uh, are um, are running at the moment and uh, are very actively promoting. So um, we'll have a look at some of the ideas around that and then uh, and then hopefully we'll be able to have a discussion about that uh, later. And this is the beginning, as I say, of of a work, uh, we haven't published anything on this to date, we hope to be publishing something uh, in the near future, with the help of uh, uh, Ace and um, with the help also uh, of this seminar and other seminars, so we're developing out ideas. So obviously your contributions tonight are uh, very, very important to us and we want to see the feedback, we want to see some of the ideas. That are drifting around from people who uh, have researched in this area. So to kick off, in a sense, um, looking a bit about terminology. Um, I used to have an old professor at uh, Swans University always used to say that politics is about 90% about clarification of concepts and discussion about concepts and ideas and names. And uh, I never understood what he meant, but I'm beginning to uh, to get there now. The terminology and this is the sort of terminology I think that many of us use and mistakenly we would argue a lot of people use this idea that English and British are the same thing and I'm sure you're all familiar with this because many of you will will see this. I'm probably living in London um, coming across this um, fairly often I would say probably on a daily basis. We certainly do back in Wales and perhaps we might see it from a slightly different angle. But the English British idea that uh, many people confuse the two. Similarly, of course, with the UK and British, um, whereas we know that G- Great Britain is a geographical expression. There is a thing called Great Britain, you know, the island of Britain, we understand all of that. Um, whereas, of course, the UK also incorporates uh, the north of Ireland or Northern Ireland. So it's this terminology, in a sense, that we have to, we have to try and sort of think about initially. And then, of course, it's one of the great one that we hear these days all the time is Britain and Europe. Britain isn't actually a part of Europe, if you listen to many people. But it is something completely and utterly separate. Um, so we don't talk a lot, or we don't hear people talking a lot about Britain in Europe, or Britain as part of Europe, but it's very much a lot of people who talk these days about Britain and Europe. And I, you've only got to put your televisions on or flick through your newspapers, and you get this, uh, on, as I say, on, on a daily basis. So in a sense, to kick off with um, a few questions, and a few questions perhaps you all need to be thinking about and asking yourselves about. What country are we in now, at this very moment of time, in this position, in this actual place? What nation are we in now? And what state are we in now? And uh, we mean state, obviously, in the structure, not in case of the state of, uh, I've had a very difficult day at LSE and I'm desperate to go home. <laughs> I'm not thinking of what, all the way or wherever we've come from. Uh? Uh, but those things, I mean, I put the three at the bottom there, England slash Britain slash UK, because many people would uh, would say, well, I'm in England, and uh, uh, This country's England, or this country's Britain, or this country's UK. Similarly with the nation, people will immediately say, well, England is my nation. Other people will immediately jump up and say, well, I'm British, so Britain is my nation. Well, again, you can get slightly different answers depending on where you are. Uh, but if we think of it at this point in time, at this precise moment, you know, it would be interesting to see just in your head now, you probably worked out the answers to those immediately and I'm sure there would be differences amongst us. So that's interesting in the sense of trying to set it of where precisely we are. Right, so that's in the sense a little bit of an introduction on, the, on some of the sort of ideas, And these are things that I think we all... Well, from time to time think about, it. I'm sure we all, certainly people who are, uh, are interested in looking at politics and culture and identity and society and uh, people are sociologists would be answering, asking themselves these questions, but the majority of people probably don't, uh, and they probably give one of those answers and they'd be sort of fairly happy with whichever answer they have given. So the kick-off, in a sense, by thinking about Welsh nationalism or Wales as a nation, or the idea of Wales, as some people refer to it. Um, Wales as the other, obviously we talk a lot, a lot, uh, a lot within nationalist studies and within the um, nationalist narratives about the other. Uh, Wales was, became the other in a sense, So the geographical land of Wales and the people that were there became the other, um, by, well, made the other, in the sense, we should say, by the Anglo Saxons, and actually, it's the term Welsh and Wales. It means foreigner. Wales, is the Germanic term of abuse. It means the people who are not us. They are the other. All right, so it does literally mean the other, the foreigner. Whereas Cymru, which is which is the um, the Welsh name, the name of the Welsh lang- in the Welsh language for uh, the land, actually means fellow countrymen. You see this today. The, the term Cumbria, I mean you're all familiar with, with the uh, uh, geographical region uh, of England as Cumbria, that's got the same um, etymology, it means fellow countrymen because um, because of the, the the Celtic language that was there originally. So you can see in a sense this is, this is sort of setting up the idea that we have other things here, We've, Wales, which is something different, has been made something different. Uh, geographically it is there, obviously, but it been made something different by Saxons with this term foreigners. So it's almost set up in opposition at an early stage. <coughs> and then, of course, what we're more familiar with, and what, what we, we tend to sort of look at more and more these days, uh, in terms of political nationalism, the rise of political nationalism, this evolves, it comes around with the rise of nation statism across Europe. And I put this bit in here about nationalist identity. I mean, I'm sure some of you are familiar with, um, Yolam I'm sure you all know Primrose Hill. You've been up on top of Primrose Hill and you've seen that that was where, um, Yolam um, who was, uh, a son of the Enlightenment. Um, that's where he held the first ghost set of the ballads. The bards of the island of Britain, as he called them, were held there on Primrose Hill. So it wasn't held in Wales, it wasn't held in Cornwall, it wasn't held in Ireland, it was held a few miles up the road from Primrose Hill. But one of the interesting things there is um, what Yolanda McGannig was trying to do, uh, apart from building up, in a sense, this this, this, uh, idea of the bardic traditions and also in terms of... uh, Uh, Celtic identity and Welsh identity in London, which which has been very strong over the years. Uh, It was also about setting out new ideas, because it's the time of the Enlightenment, few years after the um, French Revolution, as we know. And it's also, of course, partly, not not wholly, but partly in response to some of the things that are going on uh, a few miles down the road in the seat of power. Here in London, where you had the beginnings of you know, the English British Empire. Alright, so in a sense you can see these things as competing. So this is we, we can look at Welsh political nationalism evolving around that stage. Now what I want to talk about, obviously Welsh political nationalism, cultural nationalism, linguistic nationalism is is a is a vast subject. But I want to talk about because we're gonna be talking a bit about labour. Um, later on, I want to look at political nationalism as embodied by Plaid Cymru. I'm sure you're all familiar with uh, Plaid Cymru, was formed in 1925. Um, Plaid Cymru has always been the, the main uh, nationalist party in Wales. It been the only nationalist party, but it's been the main nationalist political party. And Plaid's philosophy, Plaid's political philosophy, has been based on civic nationalist principles. Uh, principles of Inclusivity, and uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, and decentralist socialism. This idea of decentralist socialism has been very important to Clytumene since the 1930s, where you had people like um, uh, D.J. Davis and Noel Davis who were arguing that uh, a nationalist party, a party that uh, was looking for freedom, and they they talked a lot about freedom in the 1930s, uh, needed sense, a core ideology, and a core right. ideology at that time, if you put forward, them, was socialism. But the idea of decentralized socialism, as opposed to large-scale state socialism. So we're not talking in you know, the Soviet modern era, for example. But talking about the principles of inclusivity, and I think that's very, very important, because clearly uh, this is something that we're going to compare and contrast with the um, One Nation Labour ideas in a moment. A couple of quotes here from Saunders-Lewis, and a few things about these quotes I'll, uh, I'll talk about in a moment. This was from publication The Welsh Nationalist, and if you can see the date of it there, July 1933, and you think of everything that was happening in 1933. Um, not just the rise of fascism, the rise of Nazism, uh, but also, of course, um, the rise of, of the black ships, and mostly, for example, people like that. So... What Lewis was saying in 1933 was "Wales for the Welsh," right? That slogan has never been the slogan of the nationalists. This is a willfully misleading phrase used by our opponents, and a phrase that's often used uh, uh, against Plaid like, Cymru and certain uh, people within today. Our policy is Wales for every person who respects and serves our country. Right? so you can see they try to base it on so Saunders Lewis, who was the uh, um, first president of Plaid Cymru and its, its intellectual guru in its, in its early days um, was trying to push this idea of inclusivity. Right. If you're in Wales, you're part of right. and then and obviously you can, uh, as long as you respect, serve the country, respect your fellow man and woman, then uh, you can be part of this, in a sense, nationalist uh, movement and nationalist uprising. Then another one from Saunders-Lewis a couple of years later. Welsh nationalism means not Wales for the Welsh, again, but Wales for all who have to live in Wales. What, he, what he, he's not sort of saying, you know, people are forced to live in Wales like it's a, a penal colony, right? It's for people obviously, like students, for example, who were who are in Wales for a short period. But what Lewis is trying to get across here, clearly, is this idea that he's putting a counter against the idea of exclusivity he's putting a, uh, a counter against some of the claims of fascism that were being stolen, for example, by uh, some of the media against uh, Plain and particularly Saunders-Lewis, at the time. So what in a sense we get to, and what we see beginning to develop in this period, is, we would argue, a rejection of British imperialist values, and those at the core of Welsh nationalism thought practices. So what they're trying to do all the time is trying to say we are not like the British nation, we're not like an imperialist uh, um, force, we haven't got those values, we are something different, and we want to create something different within Wales, based as I said on that idea that Lord Lewis used to say all the time about freedom. It's the ultimate thing, it's not not necessarily about uh, having a strong nation and a strong state, it's about are people free? Can they actually do things within that? So it's, it's quite a strong uh, liberal notion within that as well. So some of the things then that played and um, broader Western nationalism has, has, uh, has tried to encapsulate. The small nation concept. Some of these things um, stem from 1920s, 1930s, but uh, are also, of course, important today. Small nation concept of shared sovereignty. We haven't got to keep all the sovereignty for ourselves. Um, one of the things Lewis said, for example, was Wales is a European nation. And that means that Wales kind of being closed. Wales has to play its part as a European nation. And one of the things that um, has certainly been, been pushed more and more in the last few years by Welsh nationalists is that being part, and this is obviously a very uh, relevant debate today. Being part of a European Union, for example, is quite to be important, right? because you're working together within the broader remit, in a sense, with the broad umbrella. Part of European civilization ties in with that. The idea that um, the Celts, for example, um, had travelled, obviously come through from um, the Middle East, as we know it today, come through to uh, settle. On the western shores of, eventually, obviously, on the western shores of this land, where they, where they remained. Um, but the idea that that somehow attracts them, ties them in. The Basques are obviously very keen as well on this, this idea that they're very, they're a strong part of European civilization. They're not something special. They're not something out there. They're not something remote. They are actually part of this, uh, this broader uh, fraternity. And that of course ties in then to things like support for international institutions um, the UN for example um, but also let's say going back to supporting European uh, European initiatives and, um, and and obviously within Wales and Ireland things like uh, um, Celtic movements that have uh, sprung up in the last, uh, in the last 30 40 50 years or so and part of it it was about the enforcement of international law, belief in international law. So, as I say, what they're trying to do, in a sense, is build up this idea that they are uh, a valid nation and they can play their part. And in terms of enforcement of international in law, for example, they were they were pushing for you think of the uh, 1930s in the Manchuria crisis in Manchuria. They, they were talking about uh, um, uh, the enforcement of international law in that case. All right. So they're pushing these ideas. Um, and, and of course there's are still very strong supporters um, today so in a sense that's a sort of quick run through of some of the ideas so how do we compare and contrast that then is, is that the same as we're going to be talking about now, this idea of British nationalism so the obvious questions come up well I'm throwing questions because obviously we try to answer these questions as much as, as much as anyone else what is Britishness? it's been um, a question that's I think it's been banded around for many years, but I'm certainly thinking of, from Tony Blair onwards, we've heard more and more about this idea of Britishness. We didn't hear a lot about it in the sort of uh, 70s and 80s, people didn't talk enormous amount, but I think it it began to come in as part of the, the New Labour Project, and there's an argument that it's a continuation of the New Labour Project. One of the other things that's interesting, of course, is that we talk a lot about British political history. We have courses in places like the LSE and Swansea University, and we talk about British politics and the history of British politics, we very rarely talk about British nationalist history, the history of British nationalism, the history of Britain as a nation, as a nation state. So why, why, is, why does that occur? Why does that actually happen? All right, so these are some of the things that we, we can obviously um, consider. Then we have to think, well, what is British? What's essentially British? Essential Britishness. I put a question mark up there because I mean, this isn't. None of this is set in stone. These these are some of the ideas and some of the concepts. The hereditary monarchy and an elected upper house is that essentially British? Is that key to being British? Is that something unique about being um, British? And of course, tying in with this notion of parliamentary democracy as opposed to popular (coughs) democracy, representative democracy, people's democracy. As we often talk about these days. i mean we saw the queen the state opening you power parliament today the queen's speech right? so that, that idea of you know the monarchy playing her role it's a very it's a very british day today for uh, um for people who follow these things for the anoraks of british politics today is a, is a great day then of course nuclear weapons the whole idea that you know britain um since the, since the second world war has developed its nuclear weapons capacity and tied in with this large military industrial complex um it's still, it's still large. large it's not as large as it was uh, but obviously from the days of the growth of empire and expansionism that has been a very strong part of it uh, the military industrial complex is, is an essential part and the chomsky says about the military industrial complex being an essential part of what it means to be an american All Right? this is arguably an essential part of you know we still um look up to the military and the military plays a key role i think we've seen um the last few years i think we've seen a resurgence in things like uh because of wars overseas like iran afghanistan i think we've seen help for heroes for example has now become um uh, a ubiquitous organization almost everywhere you go coming down the road earlier on there's more help for heroes people there so whether that is something that's tied in is essentially british and then I think I think is important is the European exceptionalism, the idea that you know Britain is something different to Europe. It goes back to that Britain and Europe uh, question at the very beginning. This idea of exceptionalism, that again um, we could argue if you want to uh, bring in historicism, could be going back to the days when you had that split, possibly with the Enlightenment and the um, the growth of the empire um, allied with the expansion of the industrial revolution but there has been something exceptional and uh, britain has seen itself in uh, in an exceptional position so those are some things to think about again these, these are sort of questions more than uh, more than statements some of the recent write-ins some of the as i say certainly since the days of Tony Blair and New Labour, I think we've uh, we've seen an increase in people writing about Britain and, and what it means to be British, and there's a John Oakland one about British civilisation. He talks about Britain today may give a surface impression of uniform or homogeneous behaviour, which is influenced by an English norm centred on the dominant role of London as the centre of political and economic life. And I think there's a couple of important things there, certainly a bit about London, um, I mean we talk more and more these days about the dominance of London the control of London the power of London um, I mean, people like uh, um, the Manchester economist uh, Carol Williams, is now talking about the sort of London city-state you know the policy of London I mean um, there's been in the last uh, decade or so about Brussels that if uh, um, finally the Belgian state disappears that Brussels could become a city-state you know the first truly European Honest in a sense, whether it's going to happen or not, I don't know. But that's it, very interesting, the dominant role of London, the key role of London all of this. But what is London representing? Is it representing London? Is it representing England? Is it representing Britain? Is it representing the UK? Again, you've got these tiers, and it goes back to almost the issues of identity. Yeah? What identity has London? Or is London just global? I also remember one student uh, who would. Uh, traveled from Russia and um, just said to me, Well, London's global. London is the world. End of story. London is everything. Right? But we know, obviously, it's, it's got, um, it might be multifaceted, but it clearly is very, very important because it is referred to as the capital, capital of England, capital of Britain, capital of the UK. So, um, you know, we can't ignore it. One of the things that Robert Hope, I think he talks about a surface impression. And there is a sort of <coughs> surface impression, but uh, so many things happening under the surface, you know, and occasionally, uh, and I think since he wrote that in 1998, we can see that things are bubbling to the surface, and I think possibly, you know, the UKIP result last week was one of those things that bubble up. You know. um, Slavoj Žižek always talks about the subterranean discontent. Everybody, you know, on the floor below us is angry and desperate to get onto this floor possibly these things are happening and they happen at, at this very moment we then look another uh, more recent uh ron ware um who wrote for the british academy about britishness and she talked about britishness as a patchwork of anomalies mistakes and inconsistencies uh, it's not right it's not perfect there's something a bit odd about it but perhaps it works Perhaps it's there, perhaps it works, perhaps we can can live with it. But it's interesting, you know, when you talk about who cares about Britishness? Uh, Who cares about these anomalies? Who cares about these mistakes? Who cares about these inconsistencies? So you can see people are slowly beginning to question more and more, you know, what is this thing we have in front of us? What What is the basis? What politically, culturally, socially, what is Britain, what is Britishness? And then, I like this quote because it's from, from Billy Bragg. Uh, I totally would bring up the music in somewhere. Uh, Billy Bragg, who as we know has written a lot and uh, uh, sung a lot, um, had a song, um, Half English, uh, on one of his albums a few years ago. And Billy Bragg was on the BBC Daily Politics uh, programme around the time of the last uh, UK general election. And he said, well, he was being asked by Andrew Neil about, well, what is it? You know, what is this Britishness what is Englishness you know do we need an English Parliament and all of these all of these questions and he came up with this I so thought it was really interesting we can't quite understand what it means to be British and English see so it's back to that British and English, British equals English thing again we have to confront this which I think is very important because if the Scots go for independence then we are more or less going to be independent anyway so we have to start thinking about this now, one of the questions you can ask of that is, who's we? <laughs> Does he mean the English are going to be independent, or the British are going to be independent if the Scots choose independence? All right? So it's a huge question, and this was two years ago, and I think I hear Billy Bragg recently, and he, he, he's always great to listen to, whether he's um, talking politics or performing. But having said that, I think he's, he is still thinking, like a lot of other people, are still thinking about this issue. Who are the we? What's going to happen? What will happen if Scotland says yes next September? All right? So again, this is this thing about people are not quite sure in their own minds, going back to their identity, what do they want that identity to be. It, how they want to reflect it in political terms? All right? So I think that's another thing that uh, is worth thinking about. And then um, I'm going to quote Michael Keaton from when he was here last year, All right just to prove I watched his YouTube uh, broadcast, I wasn't here myself, but uh, Michael Keaton, who's done some excellent work, as you know, on on Scotland and in nationalism in general, says that certain constitutional thinking argues that we have to nail down the UK and define it once and for all. I don't know. Do we? If the UK um, is about to go, which it may well do, do we need to really spend a lot of time thinking about the UK? Or should we just let it almost die a natural death? Mm-hmm. But what, what Michael Keaton is saying is obviously that certain people are now arguing, and I think people who are talking about federalism are certainly thinking about this you know, big time that we need to really nail down what is the UK, what are the component parts, who does what, in a sense. all right So that's uh, that's another um point of view on this issue. What I'm going to do now, talk a little bit, um, I'm going to put up some, um, some strands in a sense, and to see whether people can agree or disagree, but it, trying to sort of clarify our thinking again on this and where British nationalism is. And I've used the term ultras, those of you who like football have obviously be familiar with the ultras, who, right, uh, uh, support the Italian, uh, football teams, you know, the ultras of Juventus and the ultras of Milan and... They all pledge their allegiance to the club, and they will die for the club, and The ultras, I just used the term, because people like the English Defence League I'm talking about now. Huh? They use the term English, but I'm sure it's British nationalism, essentially, that's uh, at the core, and the BNP. In a sense, those are the people that are very much out there. Um, these not necessarily liberal, Enlightenment thinkers. All right? I don't want to be disrespectful to them. There may be some in the room now, I don't, I don't okay. But, um, in a sense, what they what they try and do is they're they very upfront. This is who we are. This is our nation. This is our idea. This is what we want. All right. We may disagree with it. But, having said that, um, they're putting it out there. You know, they they wearing the hat on the sleeve. You know, they wear the T-shirt, in a sense. They write up and say, this is who we are. This is what we want. Bang, bang, bang. Right. We can all identify with that. We can do our research into them. We can have our discussions about them, and so forth. Then we have what we term the crossovers. Uh, the crossovers. You'd be familiar with the top one. The crossovers are not the ultras. They're not out there. They're not banging. They're not saying, "Hey, you know, here comes the flag. Be careful. This is who we are. You know, we don't like it." Etc. Etc. But they're putting a very strong line across. And I put below the UK, um, the BBC and the Daily Mail, for various reasons. The Daily Mail, I think, has satisfied the crossovers. They satisfy the angry people. You know? The people, I suppose, back, going back to Zizek, who are the floor below us. Um, the victim groups, the people who are very angry, the people who want their country back, in a sense will get the Daily Mail. People who do not like the immigrants because they're pushing up house prices and you know taking the pensions, etc. All right? So in a sense, this is the UKIP you know, vote. Right? I'm not saying everyone that reads the Daily Mail votes UKIP or vice versa. Right? And also the BBC. I mean, I've been fascinated the last um, well, last couple of years, but certainly the last couple of weeks. How much support the BBC have given the UKIP? Is absolutely incredible i'm sure there are people researching this at this very moment in media studies courses. um ukip are given so much airtime; time it is incredible absolutely incredible
2: whenever somebody comes
0: out against ukip the uh, best i've heard recently was simon hughes from the liberal democrats who gonna, um, uh, actually took you apart uh one morning but was, was being cut off all the time um david davis the commentator was Reviewing the papers, and he had a go to UKIP the other day. And he was, he's, uh, the BBC man cut across him and said, Well, you're, you're a Europhile, aren't you? As if that was something absolutely dreadful, you know, to, to, to be supportive of the European yeah. ideal, that that was something uh, uh, that he should be ashamed of. But I think that, that's, again, the BBC, uh, had been said by Cameron and Miliband and Gordon Brown. All of these people have been seen as a beacon, a light of Britishness. Right? Now, if they are, what sort of Britishness are they putting across? The what political Britishness are they putting across? The that's why I put them in the in the crossover section. Right? So, beware that you receive this. That's the, uh, the question that comes out of it or the statement.
2: And then the mainstream, or the banal, the everyday, as
0: going to use a turn term, uh, the banal left. And we put the mainstream parties in there, because the mainstream parties, in our opinion, British Nationalist parties. They never come out and say it. Some of them wouldn't dare say it. The nearest probably Conservatives would, you know, certainly uh, from from the days of Margaret Thatcher onwards, they were very quick to to wave the Union Jack and wave wave a symbol and actually declare their Britishness. Labour have done it. Labour have certainly done it, but have kept it very quiet, generally pretty quiet. But they will always support the state. They also uh, um, tend to be um, the biggest supporters of the state, as the state, right? because because they see that's where their programme is, and that's where idea. That, and when we get to talk about one nation, I think we can see some of these things coming up.
2: The Liberal Democrats,
0: possibly to a lesser extent. The Green Party, which is actually the Green Party of England and Wales, which seems a, a bit odd because you have an England and Wales Green Party, then you have another Green Party in in Scotland. Right? So, uh, but the Green Party again have been um, have been in opposition, certainly to to some facets of nationalism within Wales and some facets of nationalism within Scotland. Right. So, again, some of this, we can, we can discuss about the idea of this being pretty banal, or, or, or some people actually um, being more forceful in their British nationalism than others. Now, some of the strands, in a sense, you know, we're used to all this, we're familiar with all of this. They all say it, right, in different ways. You know, the British jobs or British workers thing, putting the great back in the Britain which seems to be, these seems to be slogans that are coming back in. Uh, putting the great back into Britain was something that was around, I think, in the 1970s. It's coming, it's coming back now. Part of that, putting the great back into Britain in the 1970s, seemed to be the response to the rise of the National Front. Now, people are beginning to, it's because people like the BNP, the last few years, although they, they seem to be falling off a bit now, but UKIP are arguing these things, people are following. Uh, the mainstream, in a sense, of the banal and the crossover are going with them. The British jobs of British workers, which is essentially meaningless. what British jobs are there? I don't know, I'm trying to think of something. I think, I think almost every single job. Um, certainly, because you know, remember the European Union is, is open to uh, um, people from the European Union. And also, if you think about British Armed Forces which, you know, we hold up as one of those things is essentially British, and there were 22 different nations represented within the British armed forces. Right? So British jobs and British workers is fairly meaningless, but also would tie, but it does tie in with this idea of, you know, it's our nation, right? Britain, right? this thing we call Britain, and we want our people to have these jobs. Just one other thing which obviously ties in with with Scotland, which I thought was quite interesting. I'm sure you saw Osborne the other day, up in Glasgow, uh, uh, giving this lecture. Accusing the SNP of being nationalist, for wanting autonomy, and wishing to keep the power. Which makes a bit strange, but that's obviously what they want to do at the moment. But of course he does it from a nationalist position. He's not doing it from a rejection of anything. He's not doing it because, saying, well why do you want to keep the power? Because we want to, you know, we, we want the euro, for example. All right? We want to get rid of the power. He doesn't he's doing it on patriotic terms all right so just an example in a sense of like this switch nationalism you're arguing against nationalism from a position of nationalism. yeah okay one nation labor not sure how familiar people are with one nation Mm -hmm. labor but there's been uh, certainly a lot of publications and a lot of activity uh, in the last few years on this subject So a couple of questions up there again. Is this an ideological project? Is it for the union? Is it in response to Alex Salmond, for example? What are Labour actually trying to do with this one-nation nationalism? Or is it an ideological project for Labour salvation? Save the Labour Party to win the next election. Short-term gain. Could be either. Well, let's try and think about them in that sense. One nation then as a nationalist project, it seems to be wanting to revive English cohesion. But on what fronts? What's it trying to do? Is it trying to foster English nationalism? Is it trying to foster um, left-wing nationalism? within England? Is it actually looking for English cohesion uh, for the maintenance of the welfare state? Right. Is it a welfareist project in a sense? Right. We see the diminution of the welfare state. Is One Nation about actually trying to uh, um, hold on to that? You know, we did a lot recently with the spirit of 45, for example. Right. The, the, you know, Labour are playing big on the, the ideal the nhs needs preserving the nhs being another supposed pillar of britishness that, that um, people like brown and Miliband have mentioned in the past so we want to try and find out what actually is happening here with this one nation project or well, has it got other ideas and other aids is it designed to crush the celtic peripheral nationalism is it irredentist says does they want to rebuild this grand central British UK state system. If we use the term peripheral, obviously it's not peripheral to us, but it's peripheral to a lot of people when they're looking at One Nation is, the One Nation Labour Project is really a London Home Counties project. Right? Which then sort of slowly moves around, but as we see it doesn't actually get that far. Is it designed to build upon 2012 patriotic stirrings? I know a lot of people were uh, stirred, impressed with the events of last year, when we be, if you are a royalist, obviously, the, uh, uh, the Queen's Jubilee and the celebrations in London. Uh, mostly in London, I have to say, but obviously in other parts. And, of course, the Olympics. Right? The London Olympics. But of course, that was built up as being um, well. The interesting thing, of course, is we had a team GB. We did not a team UK. There's lots of people in Northern Ireland who weren't very happy about that. They were saying, "What's wrong with us?" And then I think they decided, they decided to have a team GB plus NI, didn't they? So you saw these things coming up, GB and NI, rather than just UK. So it goes back to terminology again, but it's also about about positioning. But I put that quote in there from from David Miller because I thought that was interesting. You're all probably familiar with David Miller, Miller's book on nationality. It talks about maintaining solidarity among large atomized communities. And we're wondering whether is that what it's about? Is it the fact that you know we're all <coughs> sons and daughters and grandchildren of Thatcher now, where we're all atomized individuals and we're all, you know, desperate to go our own ways and all of these ideas that we were we were told that we were that you know we didn't believe in collectives and we didn't believe in communities and solidarity. And is something like one nation designed to actually bring that back together? Right. So again, these are these are these are questions. These are um, sort of ideas that we try to sort of really ourselves try to uh, um, deconstruct and really really look at. One Nation Labour's Britishness, and this is, I, I like this, from Gordon Brown, alright, so it, I think some of this started with, with uh, Tony Blair, and New Labour, and this Fed, through now to Brown. And then the Daily Telegraph, and this is going back to 2007, talks about the Institute of Britishness, alright, and I'm wondering what that Institute of Britishness would look like. to Discuss and celebrate what made Britain a great country. I'm always fascinated by, <coughs> um, well, not every time, but a lot of the time I'm, and here, uh, I go to the British Museum, and I'm fascinated how little there is about Britain in there, right? and especially how little there is about uh, Wales in there, and the Celts. Um, I think there's a room about five times the size of this about Mexico, and there's one little sort of cupboard which tells you a little about uh, the Celts, but the Celts are obviously really, you only have the Celts when the Anglo-Saxons arrive, which is quite, uh, it's quite amusing, right? And I know there's, there's a lot of people uh, in Wales who, people who, archaeologists and also people uh, who are writers and historians that have raised this point for the British Museum and they haven't got very far. All right? so perhaps that's a project for the future. Perhaps we'll have some ESRC or we'll leave it in to see if we can change the, make the British Museum more British. right? and that could be quite uh, entertaining. But anyway, this was Gordon Brown. So Gordon Brown's talking about having this discussion and celebrating uh, what made Britain a great country, right, this institute of Britishness. So this is one of his ideas when he was flirting with Britishness uh, in 2007. But one of the things that comes across is one nation is a question, is it a second wave assimilationist project? Is it actually about creating or bringing back this idea of you know, everyone has one. And the interesting thing if you see a lot of the material that comes from labour on one nation, it includes it's actually very strong in the idea of multiculturalism, ethnic multiculturalism, right? how people have to work together from different cultures, which were something that we'd all support and we'd all be very much in favor of. but it excludes the older, much older territorial nationalism. It doesn't really talk about Wales, it doesn't really talk about Scotland. Huh? Northern Ireland might as well be Belize I mean it's just so far away from the, from the thinking so what we see then, and what we would argue is that the Celtic peripheries as they see them, not as, as we would see them but the Celtic peripheries they fold into regions subservient to the central UK state and devolution British regionalism in a sense, what it is, it's a, a British regionalist project uh again that came about in response to um nationalist uh, uh, arguments of the 1980s and 90s it's designed to assuage nationalists further but has it failed? Look at Scotland. Arguably it has failed. Wales? Probably uh the jury's out on that one. Um there are a lot of people now um, certainly Welsh nationalists, people who were getting very disillusioned with devolution. They would argue that devolution hasn't delivered, hasn't done as much. Some people weren't very enthusiastic in the first place. They didn't think it was, you know, why should Wales have less than Scotland? That was the, you know, the argument that were going around in the, in the mid-1990s. So, something for one-nation Labour people to think about. Plurinational nature of the UK state. We'd argue this overlooked in favor of one nation, this idea of one nation with regional cultures. All right. And regional cultures is something that we've observed that um, some university departments, not this one, I mean, some young universities uh, are actually talking now about regional cultures. This happens in English universities. We've seen websites with regional cultures and what they actually mean is, you know, that devolution thing that's happening in Wales and that devolution thing that's happening In the North of Ireland. So one nation perhaps needs to have that idea of nations. What it's actually intended to do is look at nations. It's not one welfare state. It's not one region in the sense it's one nation. So shouldn't it do what it says uh, on the tin and possibly look at one nation or four nations or five nations if you want to include Cornwall as well. So looking at those nations, the older nations.
2: So the argument then is if
0: Labour is serious that's, that's, that's a question in a sense are they serious about nationality and identity, going back to identity again why not promote pluralite nationality? And I only realised this the other day about Bolivia and I don't fast uh, know a lot about it but Bolivia became this plurinational national state of Bolivia in 2009 right? it's, a, it's a fascinating concept because they went to the recognize the, the, the national characteristics within Bolivia itself so putting all this together and trying to sort of work some of it out there, there's a coacher, um, Gene Seaton who, interesting you can see has uh, wrote a section in uh, Gamble and writes Britishness perspectives on the British question on the BBC the BBC keep coming back into all this all the time and metabolising Britishness critical patriotism and Gene Seaton says that being British is more voluntary than it's ever seen before. But it has to start from reality. So if you want to create, in a sense, say new Britain, have a look at the old Britain. Have a look at what was there. Right? That's one thing that they could possibly argue.
3: So, Labour.
0: They had, for a while, they tried to embrace cool Britannia. Which, again, goes back somewhat to the music. All right? In Wales we had cool country, those of you, those of you who know your music, remember, you know, while it's still going, obviously the bands like the and the Manic Street Creatures and Catatonia, good, very good bands, and people classified that as cool country, you know, Wales got cool again, yeah, so, Cool Britannia was something, remember where you had bands like um, uh, Oasis and Blur that came to the fore at that time, right, and that was, they were meant to make you proud in a sense, although they weren't necessarily writing about anything to do with Britain or Britannia. But that idea was almost like the sort of back to the days of the Who and the Rolling Stones and the, um, the Beatles and the 1960s—that it was cool, it was cool to be British, cool to be British. But Seaton argues that's been spat out. So why attempt a reclassification through one nation? Why, why attempt, in a sense, to try and revive some of this? And these, again, are some ideas, some questions. On Europe, why is the British nationalism, say, because that's what we would argue it is, of one-nation Labour, scared of European interaction and cooperation?
2: One of the things I think
0: has been interesting in in the last week or so is, Labour's response to UKIP has been, appears to be fairly muted. They're not quite sure what they're going to do. Are they going to take them on, head-on? Are they going to argue for Europe? i argue for the European Union. So you get all this talk of being in europe but there seems to be a lack of commitment in order to look beyond the british island state i love i love that I, I heard the term island state by julia hearty brewer um well it was on late one night on sky news i just thought it was fascinating so again it's supposedly this state which you know ex- exclude northern ireland so one nation labor one nation labor Dodger is English-centric, as it says, most of its events, most of its ideas, most of its thinkers seem to be based around this city. With ever-diminishing ripples, so the further away you're going, you know, from the think tanks, from the IPPR, and from uh, Labour headquarters, you get these ever-diminishing ripples, and it's not really taking effect. The talk of the North, quite a bit, but of course, the North of England. Not Scotland as north of Britain. So again, you ask this question, well, which nation are you talking about? Are you talking about England? Are you talking about Britain? Where actually are we? And what talk of Northern Ireland? If you go and talk to people um, from One Nation Project, you have to bring up the subject in the sense of Northern Ireland, because you know, they probably won't, almost certainly won't. So then, in, just, in a sort of conclusion, to some conclusion, one nation labor ignores celtic nationalities is afraid to fully explore the political dimension of english nationalism <coughs> and i think it's always important to come back to remember tony we talking about you know socialism there are nationalisms in very much in the plural all right you know we realize that there isn't just one english nationalism and that's it all right there are english nationalisms in different stages of development but is it that they're afraid of the Pandora's box of xenophobia? It's been touched upon by people like the Ultras, touched upon by the crossovers. Mostly, uh, sort of played down or uh, repudiated by uh, the mainstream British nationalist party. But are they afraid of that ultimately? Is one nation Labour is one the one nation idea afraid that if we start talking about English nationalism. that All of a sudden, we are going to become xenophobic. The arguments are going to become xenophobic um, and be racist. Are these things going to happen? So, what we're trying to do, in a sense, is try. And, we're trying to think of this, think of these discussions, and contrast them to some of the ideas of Welsh nationalism and nationalism beyond, in a sense. Right?
1: So that's, uh,
0: that's in a sense where we are at this point in time.
1: Okay. So, you right. so
0: your obviously your ideas, your thoughts, anything is most welcome and <coughs> uh, yeah. Did you want to say that or are you okay No,
3: j- just just to emphasise one point I think you've got towards the end. I mean first of all this uh, I don't know what people here think of this confusion of terminology. Um, <coughs> which, you know, if you look at this topic, say from a Welsh nationalist perspective, you could equally look at it from a Scottish perspective, or you could even look at it from a European perspective. You get this confusion of terminology all the time. Um, and the use of a term that almost you wonder what it means, Britain. Whereas the name of the state is the United Kingdom. But if you if you call it Britain, like what are you talking about? Are you talking about are you doing Northern Ireland in that? So, so th- there's a huge confusion in the in the whole discussion about it, and and until you can get these terms right, I think you you can't have a proper debate. I think that's 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 the first thing. Um, and the second one is is this, which I think is, is a bigger question. And um, um, because of political developments, how previously with the NP, now UK and the whole European Union <coughs> it in, in, into a separate protest is this. Um, the, the, the clear distinction that needs to be made between um, ethnic nationalism and civic nationalism or say, ethnic nationalisms and civic nationalism, All right and civic nationalisms are constructed they made All right that's the dif- that's, that's the difference is ethnic nationalisms are assumed civic nationalisms can be constructed constructed and um, there's been some research, um, say, say this. There's a reference here from Curtis and Say, two thousand and one. Self-identifying English, right, English people, tend to be less progressive on race and migration issues. That's what that's what the research evidence showed, right? Um, and it is a question I think is that is one Nation Labour, which is a big project, you know, which is looking at lots of things, which is really, you know, I think one of the most interesting projects going on in the UK at the moment in terms of its scope and in terms of its, some of the questions it's asking. But there always seems to be some areas where it will go. And the question really is to work out why is it going there? what 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 is it about? And is it leaving, you know, the growth of English political nationalism as opposed to culture and the other things, right? To the right by not dealing with it. Right? Um, because if you allow, shall we say, English political <coughs> nationalism to be a right wing nationalism, I don't mean an ethnic nationalism or racist nationalism right? There are other major policy consequences of allowing that to happen. It means the debate about the European Union is a debate from the right. But it also means the debate about taxation is a debate from the right. It means that international defence issues are debates from the right. So these there are big consequences to to not engaging in in, in the debate. And from some of the reading that that we're doing, is this is that does one nation Labour assume that its version of a civic Britishness, right, um, is somehow going to keep the lid on a kind of ethnic Englishness? That's a question. It's certainly, there are certainly signs that that may very well be the case, is that somehow a civic Britishness is almost a safer bet than dealing with English, you know, English political Englishness, right? if, I, if I can put it that way. Now um, people back as early as 2007, Muir and Stone, posed that choice, right, but um, I and, and Bill Brown makes some points as, as Alan pointed out. So there's a big debate there. I think is that there's some territory that one nation labour is not going into for reasons that are not clear. But I think you could argue that by not looking at it, it's dangerous politically in terms of, of the one there. And the other thing I think that, is, that that's the bigger question is this: is that while um, mm-hmm. should we that's just say one nation labour embraces multiculturalism? Uh, embraces a whole range of other identities, <clears throat> what it has failed to embrace is territorial nationalisms within the UK. For reasons that are not clear. W- why, why doesn't one, Labour, one nation labor say, well, there is such a thing as Welsh nationalism, as English nationalism, Scottish nationalism, whatever, and therefore we need to understand it, and we need to embrace it, and we need to, to, to discuss it. But but there, again, there seems to be a sort of blind spot in in relation to that. So I think that these are big questions that 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 uh, do matter, and it isn't just about identities. It actually does affect the future development of, of policies right across the board. And I think that's another reason why it's um, important. if Under-
1: because uh, you mind call
3: from my voice,
1: I'm Scottish.
2: Oh, I okay. uh, <laughs> uh, do! I live in market
1: Scotland. Yeah. It just happened to be in London a little bit. <laughs> um, it, it, it struck me, though, that when you were talking about British nationalism, that to my ear, it almost always, if not always, sounded like English nationalism. Mm. You know, I, I really wasn't mm. sure what the component uh, uh, of it, because when you take the kind of ultra-parties, mm. uh, there is no real engagement with in no, no. uh, north of the, no. uh, the border. And equally with the, like, the mainstream political parties in the debate about the independence uh, referendum, you virtually never hear an argument that is rooted in any notion of Britishness.
4: Mm.
1: It's an evaluation of benefits and risks. You know, a bit like the pound, mm. etc. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what would happen if we had to embrace the mm-hmm. euro? We'd, we'd be in the sterling zone. It's mm-hmm. that kind of, uh, as I say, benefits and risks argument. You hardly ever hear a, uh, a Labour politician, for example, on the northern border, mm-hmm. actually refer to the union as uh, as a good thing in the kind of cultural mm-hmm. sense, mm-hmm. partly because nobody would buy that. You know, most people think of themselves as Scottish. Mm. Mm. The other thing I was going to ask was particularly this kind of question about um, the kind of ethnic and cultural Mm. uh, nationalism, because it strikes me in Scotland and Wales, Mm. the kind of cultural things are not Mm. far from the surface in their political uh, nationalisms. I just mean my my particular area is Danish national identity. Yeah. Oh. That's my field. <clears throat> but, but there, um, you get a very civic nation in one mm. sense, but its civic identity is deeply rooted in the national cultural history. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, from Gwynfag, who again had connections to, to the old Danes Yeah, Wales, yeah, yeah. Of course, And, yeah. uh, and then the Welsh nationals. Yeah. Like thing. and i just wonder how easy it is mm. to pick apart the, uh, the 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 civic and i wonder also um, it may not be how you meant it but the, you know the extent that the ethnocultural identity is also made because it's not a given it's constructed and mm. um, it's renegotiated <laughs> it's contested mm. uh, all the time so i but I'll ask first because,
0: because I, I think the bit you saying about this this idea about the, the or whatever is that they they see themselves as British and they talk about British all the time. I mean, I give a, a good example. It's probably Nick Griffin. Uh, Nick Nick Griffin, the leader of the BNP, lives in Wales. I don't know. It's, is it to me? I don't know, I've never researched the guy. I've never met met the man, but he he doesn't appear to have a great understanding of. Welshness. But, but he, he sees it as British, and, and he sees his ideas of, Brit- of Britain, and Britain <coughs> in a sense to him, I, I think, might be wrong, is, is England. It, it's that idea of some old England, you know, some white England, that's very, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a period piece in the drama, you know, it's back out there. And I think, going back to Billy Bragg's idea, it, it, it is that thing. You, you wouldn't have a response from that from a Scottish folk singer. It would not know him whether he was in a sense Scottish or British, and if England became independent, what's going to happen to Scotland and Britain? I don't think I just can't see it. I don't think it would happen in Wales, and or, or or you know, obviously the north of Ireland is slightly different for for sectarian reasons, as as, as we know. But um, but but that confusion, that that genuine confusion. And I think that going back to what I started saying about the clarification, of concepts and terminology yeah. that there are people in scotland sometimes struggle with some of these things there are people in Wales, but i think a lot of people in england it's just a total fault. it's a real gray area and it, uh, and i think as said sort of summed up there in a sense that unless you actually nail it down and say well this is who we are this is the sort of society we want then you leave it for the likes of the ultras and and you and these people to to play with you know and i think that's the great <laughs> danger that, that in a sense you know labour of stepping in the water. They've they got one foot in the pool, but they're not quite sure whether they, do we go in or do we not go in. And I think that's very dangerous.
3: So, did you want to you yeah. sort of um, no, I... yeah. Clearly, yeah. you know, there the are ethnic mm. genetic roots, right, whatever. right? So, um, the, the, the best answer I can give you is, is uh, I do familiar with a book by a guy called Gwynard Williams um, yeah. called When Was Wales? Yeah. And the point he makes, he, he, he covers millennial history, right, and says Wales is something that constantly remakes itself. It's not a fixed thing, you know, that you, all, all of us, are, if I said to you what is British, what is English or whatever Scottish, Maybe we have come to an instant kind of image in our minds, but that's not real. That's just a received image, isn't it? And so, 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 Bernard Williams is saying, you know, this territory, don't forget, and it comes back to a defined territory in this particular case. Right? The, the border between Wales and England was fixed in 1536. I think it's the border between England and Scotland was fixed a bit later, I remember, slightly more flexible, I should <laughs> um, but but uh, that border is one must be one of the oldest borders in Europe, actually. But so so that behind that in that territory there was a nation remaking itself all the time. So 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 I, I I think that's that's you know that's more that's more real, and therefore the idea of a fixed thing, you know, and and you know uh, it, in the seventh century, in the Middle Ages, we had uh, Barbary pirates, uh, you know, raiding ships. Uh, so, so globalisation has been going on for a long time, and these 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 kind of changes have been taking place. I mean, it's not like, it's not a like freelance. So you remember, these are shifting, constantly moving things. That, that 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 you know, identity is not a fixed thing. Identity is constantly being being made. Um, in Cardiff, for example, just take that for example. Uh, you know, which is what one of the oldest you know, ethnic roots in in, 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 uh, in, in communities uh in on the island of Great Britain. You know, you know that, that, are, that are you know what you know Welsh Muslims they identify with Wales, they identify with Welsh culture. So this is where is renewing itself, isn't it? This is where's making itself all the time. And that happens everywhere, not you know, saying it's unique to Wales. Um. I was interested in the tension that
1: you described in multiculturalism in, in the UK, and yeah. I was wondering if that might have something to do with the race relations act and how we actually
5: define the conceptualized and conceptualise minorities in the UK. And also, um I remember last year at Mullah it was talking about how everyone in the UK should be able to speak English. Yeah. And how that relates to Welsh nationalism and the kind of more cultural aspects yes. in Wales, because yeah. that seemed to play into the, the idea of multiculturalism in the UK
2: everyone
0: having to fit with a British image but not realising that mm, the mm. that's well the one thing it's one of the things So, just to answer the second question one of the things that struck me today was with the Queen's speech uh, that the, the education bill which is obviously going to be an English education bill that languages are going to be compulsory from the age of 7 now and, and there's going to be a greater emphasis on British history and I thought well they're going to teach people Welsh Some of the first things I thought well it, it the second widely uh, um, spoken language on the island of Britain is what? Well. <laughs> so, but how many people speak it? How many people, are, I mean, look, there's 21% of the people in Wales speak it, but how many people outside Wales speak it? So if you've got an idea of being British, in a sense, it uh, goes back to my Nick Griffin point, in a sense. If Nick, if Nick Griffin is British and is adamant that he is British and wants to maintain British cultures on the island of Britain, either, why does he speak Welsh? So you know, it's 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 obviously a language argument, but it's an interesting argument to come from, isn't it? In terms of, I mean, I don't know a lot about the Race Relations Act, so um, the point I'm making about the multiculturalism is that there's there's an emphasis. I mean, multicultural. I mean, obviously London is is a massively cosmopolitan multicultural city, and has had its ups and downs, but I think generally has been very successful absorbing people from around the world, I mean this institution is pretty a fantastic example of all of that. But I think one of the things is that if you, if you, I, I say limit, I, I don't mean to sort of decry the the idea that you, you need to concentrate on multiculturalism and multicultural issues, but if you leave aside then national and territorial issues, then you've got half the package, you yeah? know, that's the sort of point I'm trying, trying to make in that.
6: But no, it, I,
3: I, I think it's interesting about the, the the Welsh language, you know, because there was, um, at the last uh, census, was it last year, or it was published this year, wasn't it, the, don't forget, it's the census of England and Wales, it's not a UK census, it's yeah. Scotland separate, Northern Ireland, so. and, um, you know, there there was uh, quite a discussion in, in the London-based media that Polish was the second biggest language, which turned out to be true. Good. All right. So it was Welsh, in fact, it was the most spoken language. But if you have, shall we say, then, put it this way, an inclusive Britishness, why is does not Britain, UK, recognize the status of, shall we say, the Welsh language? Not into, you know, and there's actually a, a very good book by a guy called Mike Stevens called, uh, I think it's called A Barn for Hydro, when he postulates that Prince Charles. When he becomes king, will insist that Welsh is taught throughout the UK. and The consequences. <laughs> of um, <laughs> the, uh, the but
6: um, it's a fiction. Right? Yeah, it's a just let you know. <laughs>
3: yeah. Imagine. But but looking from a Welsh perspective, the failure of the UK media to journalists I'm about to even pronounce Welsh they, they, they will not pronounce They will avoid using proper Welsh names in order to avoid saying them. Right? Uh, you know, the, the, the measles outbreak is in a place called South Wales. Swansea. And a place called Newport, Albert. It's a county. They will avoid saying it. The same as Soviet Essex. Look, yeah, yeah yeah you know um and, and yeah. i mean you know the the, 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 the horrendous events in my Right? right Mah- is a place called Wales. it's in a county called hollis yeah. so there's this kind of denial of the sim- simple things whereas we're supposed to know that you know, uh, I, have, you know I think i think this county is in, in in a particular country so so there, there's this kind of blind spot so so but if There is an inclusive Britishness, you know, which totally accepts ethnic diversity, totally accepts a whole range of other things. That Britishness does not embrace certain worse characteristics. And that's, I find that a bit odd. So, what does that mean? Why does that occur? What's what's going on? Is is that, don't journalists, uh, you know, I'm talking about radio and television journalists, their courses do not include. A, you know, a basic course in the pronunciation of Welsh words. Because they're places, aren't they? What did what did David Dimbleby call the Welsh language other The incomprehensible reading? tongue. David Dimbleby, the paragon of British broadcastianism, says that Welsh is the incomprehensible tongue. Right?
5: <laughs> the only way so you can is
1: uh, yeah. John Humphreys, probably, because he comes from Cardiff. Hi. <laughs> Actually, the other thing I was thinking.
5: Um since, you know, the rise of nationalism has got more to the floor over the years, you know, Wales Scotland
4: I think people have realised they've got their flags and so the St George's flag has come into being as if people are trying to you know, mm. recognise that they're English. I don't know how that all started, but I think mm. it's much better than the Indian
0: Jack anyway. It's often said that that started in ni- nineteen ninety six, wasn't it with the, the European Championships in football? England were, were in the European Championships and that thing. And again, this ties in with the beginnings of this question of you know, the new Labour started, and Tony Blair started looking at some of these issues and talking about some of these issues, uh, and the Cool Britannia ties in with that. Huh? Uh, but all of a sudden, and I don't think anyone, I mean, people have written about it, but I don't think anyone's given the, uh, uh, you know, the defined answer, is that you began to see people expressing their Englishness, but it seemed to be in football. They could do it in sport. In a sense, it's, it's an easy way to do it, isn't it? We, you know, I, I mean, I know lots of people in Wales who are desperately you know, patriotic Welsh fans, and then the following day they say, oh, I can't be bothered with any of that nationalism. You know? But they, they go absolutely wild when Wales are <coughs> playing, and then the following day, I'm sure you'll get some examples in Scotland and all the, and the other nations you can think of. It's that, um, it, it, they used to say, about people used to sing hymns in rugby matches, that they were instant Christians. And of course, the following day, they would say, oh, I'm not going to church, I'm not going to chapel. But I'm going to sing my song with pride on my day because my, my team is playing. You know, it's that instant Christian idea. Um, so I think that was some of the, you know, to try and answer that question about the flags. Um, but that's interesting. Again, I mean, it, it's, it seems to be something that, uh, there was that there was that debate at the time, wasn't there, about the Union Jack, because you had the rise of some of the ultras. Uh, some people were saying, well, I don't want to be associated." You know, I'm, I'm proud to be British, but I don't be associated with the Union Jack because, you know, I'm sorry, in the, the far right we've got the Union Jack in a sense, you know. So, that, I mean, that, 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 again, that's a huge area to uh, discuss, isn't it? It's
4: symbolism, I'm sense. say. Well, pretty you know, British, is you see, the anglicisation of the British Isles. is not yeah. much more to it than that. Uh, if you look at English Nationalism as Jewish, from the English National Party, or the English Independence Party, uh, this will be uh, England out of the UK, and England out of the EU. And that's probably what we've come to in the end. But getting away from the immediate political circumstances, um, the a nation is defined by Morgan as a... Um, coalition of people speaking a certain language settling in a certain territory. Now on that basis, if England weren't there, there'd be a Cornish nation, there'd be a Manx nation, there'd be an Irish nation, there'd be a Scottish nation, there'd be a Welsh nation. But unfortunately England was there, and uh, uh, after it decided to slaughter stop slaughtering the fells, started to try to assimilate them when it was was drawn into the imperial venture which unfortunately still exists on a large world scale now but uh, the the thing is there's there's nothing natural about residentialism. that was something cooked up really wasn't it in the 19th century to involve the uh, Celtic peoples with the uh, England's imperial adventures—that's all it amounted to.
3: Do you think about that one? you I think, yes, yeah, certainly. I think it, one can argue that you know it was the imperial nature, wasn't it, of the state that it is one of the characteristics. And um, what was kind of interesting is the extent to which um, I think it was Gordon Brown they tried to say well the empire wasn't all that wasn't all that and yeah. uh, that was an interesting uh, strange thing and yet um people like um uh Seamus Milne and George have written have made that that many of the of of the british empire's uh crimes shall i put it that way have been suppressed you know understanding that knowledge of them has been suppressed um i've seen the the, the, the ex-mowar people we, you know taking people uh, to cover over that and one gets the impression that there's a lot more um, coming down the, you know, coming down the pipeline in, in relation to that. so so, so to, to some extent there's much more about practitioners to be understood and I, when I mean understood I mean you know as part of the, as part of the, um, the education system because clearly these things happen and they have an impact upon today and they have an impact upon mindsets today as well. So I think there's a, a lot more about Britishness that needs to be unpacked and understood and debated. I'm sure the the art wants to go both place, but I think that is part But certainly, imperialism does seem to be uh, one of the essential parts of
0: it. I just well, one point on what he was saying there about uh, the slaughter of the Celtic Celtic peoples, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with these books, these horrible histories that, that come out for young children. There's a Horrible history of England, which is incredible. I, I recommend you go to Watson or something and have a look at it. It's, it's remarkable. Uh, but it actually talks there about the arrival of the killer Celts into England, and oh, I just thought it was You know, they talk about uh, talk about playing and twisting history, and uh, so the killer Celts are to blame for everything ultimately. So it, uh, the other you know, point is really about
4: uh, Scottish nationalism and such like, you know, which is being uh, demonised or lionised at the present moment. And uh, it's moving actually quite slowly, in fact, everything's moving slowly compared with what happened between the wars and and also the breakup of Austria, Hungary, Yugoslavia, Soviet Union, that sort of thing. But the Queen, out of the blue, uh, when she was dressed in the House of Parliament once, she's not there to uh, preside over the breakup of the United Kingdom so she laid down the law yeah. uh, she didn't bother to consult anybody well not anybody we know regarding it but she said that's what i'm prepared to put up with not to put up with the breakup of the united kingdom so the nationalists i mean except for the extreme nationalists of course and this of extremely good to me but um, the the nationalists in general have accepted that and they've accepted that an independent um, Scotland would actually be within the United Kingdom. An independent Wales will be within the United Kingdom. I don't know what will happen to Ulster, and I doubt they've a lot of thought in the Isle of Man or um, in the Channel Islands or Cornwall at the moment. But that's the thing. She has laid down the law on that subject, and that there's got to be no breakup of the United Kingdom, and I think that is probably the way things are going at the moment. Well, I, I would
0: <coughs> think, uh, I accept accept your point. I think I think that's I, I think there's going to be major change. One of the things that we we've, we've done with some of our work um, across Europe is, is one of the things that we do is put a map of Europe up now, and then put a map of Europe up imaginary map of Europe up in 20, 30 years time. And it looks completely different. Because if if the nationalism, and if if the transformation of Europe occurs, uh, in a sense, what you would have is like a a sort of second Berlin Wall effect. You know, if if Scotland goes, Catalonia goes, Flanders goes, Wales goes, all of a sudden bang, 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 you could be left with what's left Germany, possibly. Having said that, the Bayern party in the south of Germany gaining ground you know all of, you know all of a sudden you start you start working these things out and this map is gone you know it's like we had, a, we had the map of you know, the british empire when we were children and all of a sudden that map's gone so rapid change it's almost like a um i mean many people are talking now about uh, you know the possible domino effect from 2014 onwards so these, these things i think I, whether they're going to happen or not i don't know i mean none of us have got a crystal ball but i think there are these possibilities that you know, as students of politics and as commentators and researchers, we need to be aware of these things and looking at them. Sorry, I've been waiting over there Oh you. no,
6: no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm picking up on, on what you had you you, you had the slide about the central Britishness. Yeah. And there are three three well five things on there, but three: nuclear weapons, military-industrial complex, and so European exceptionalism. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that sort of picks up on. No, it's the legacy of empire. What, whatever Britain is, um, and by extension whatever England is, it has to be special, and it has to be big, and it has to be important. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the, the the nuclear weapons, the military, yeah, mm. military industrial, or just the, the the role of the military, yeah, and our strained relationships with Europe is, yeah. is a symptom of that. That yeah. whatever it is, England and Britain yeah. is, yeah. it has to be yeah. global in some yeah, way. Yeah it has to have that. Um, I, I wanted, I suppose, to comment as much a, a, as anything. I suppose I have to admit that I'm both English and a member of the Labour Party. But no, don't, don't speak. I don't necessarily... It's not in I, <laughs> so I think part of the reason the, the Labour Party is worried about English nationalism yeah. is that it's worried that if it asks the question, it'll get an answer. Yeah. And it's an answer that won't sit very well in London. Mm. Um, <coughs> part of that is... Um, a fear of uh, just crude racism and xenophobia. Mm. But also, I, I think that London seems a very, very long way away mm. from a lot of England. Mm. I mean, I, mm. I commute in from East Anglia right. and the idea of London, right. like, it seems a very long way away yeah. and things are done by the state, yeah, which is yeah, represented yeah. by London. But <coughs> perversely, that's true in London as well. I mean, in a way, London and England are different countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the whoop, sorry, that London itself as a city-state almost mm-hmm. as an identity it has it has this assembly and man mm-hmm. that's great so far as it goes. But it doesn't have any you know you know apart from the tube and buses, it doesn't have a lot of power, mm-hmm. and so there is a lot that is done to London. Um, which yeah. I don't know. I think it's problematic, and I think you perhaps yeah. you'd see that elsewhere in with English nationalism that it's English nationalism, but we don't like the yeah. sort of representation of the, the imposition from uh, from London. Yeah. A question. Yeah, enjoy that. But going back to Saunders Lewis. Yeah. Uh, you had you know the mm. Welsh nationalism is that everybody who happens to be in Wales. Mm. What happens what would happen for him for the Welsh outside Wales? And not say, the, the first generation, if you if you go uh, a few miles northeast of here, there's mm. uh van Clunde, the Welsh mm. centre of London. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um yeah. you know, what happens to the Welsh in Wales from that perspective?
0: Do you know Sid, do you, do you know that one?
3: Because
6: you know well, more about Sonders and uh,
3: yeah. uh I I haven't come across a phrase that used about that. But the 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 point about that, and it's a question of Assassin's Scotland, isn't it, is that citizenship of a of a state of a of a territory is about dwelling there, mm. and you know, okay you, know, you, you 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 can uh, have become a, you could become a citizen of Wales and live in you know anywhere, but you would still retain your citizenship, whatever. So 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 citizenship is is uh, a legal status. Right. And to, to that extent, it's portable, right? And it's not about you know. So you'd have rules about citizenship, wouldn't you? Could every state will have its own rules, and, and, and uh, within international law, I guess. So I think that, that's, the, that's the answer to that. But can, can I throw a question back to you? Is is that if the One Nation Labour project does not tackle this, what it seems to, to to us to be the key question of dealing with I you know, an emerging um political Englishness and leaving it to the right, you know, at, at the present moment you get that is going to have potentially big consequences. And I can't understand why should we say the Labour Party then would leave that happen. Because it in I exaggerate now, but in a sense it could slide out of control, couldn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, uh, so, so, so I don't understand why not. It's, it seems to me that what, what, what's happening is that, as I said, the One Nation Labour recognises you know, ethnicity and, and, and you know, fair, fairness and equality and all the other you know, social more social policies, but is it, 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 it not allowing itself to come to terms with the territorial nationalisms within Great Britain, or, and certainly not the territorial nationalisms within Northern Ireland. Are long later. But it seems to me that if one nation labor doesn't do that, that is leaving the the ground the, the to you know the the, the rights and as uh, I tried to say earlier
6: on there are policy consequences right across the board about that. Oh I I, I agree with you. Um and you know they, they we don't actually have and an, for instance and NHS in this country, we've got four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I can't remember. the initialism is, is you yeah, know, a Welsh one, a Scottish one, uh, one for um, whatever we call the area the yeah. of capital, yeah. um, Belfast, and one for yeah. England. Yeah. Um, you know, pe- people haven't picked up on that, but part of it, despite the fact that there was devolution to Wales, Scotland, and London, is that the Labour Party, at least so far as I can see, by instinct, is centralist. Um, you have got an Ira Bevan's famous right. phrase about wanting to hear about in white like, or if the bedpan hits the, the floor in Geneva. Mm. That's not just the health service. It's not just from the 40s and 50s. It's something that's still there. A mm. big part of it is if you talk about English nationalism, you start talking about regionalism, and you have to address a bit what's going on mm. with some sentiments for an English parliament. Mm. Once you have that four-way split or mm. leave... Uh, island to one side because of the complexities there. So they're three ways split on this island. Mm. You start losing that ability to say, right, we're doing everything from Whitehall, which mm. is, I think, an instinct there. But also, I think it's a feeling that as soon as you recognize English nationalism, mm. you are giving ground just by recognizing that it exists uh, and that it is, it is a real thing. Um, you're giving ground to the UKIPs of this world, to the EDLs, and so on. I think I think that's mm. I think that's a lot of it. The other thing I'd say is that the Labour I mean this isn't just the Labour Party. All parties had a collapse in membership. But the Labour Party it's really hard in that it's lost membership in the set, but a lot of its MPs and leadership come from the set, mm. um, and it's lost a lot of the machinery it used to have that actually gives it the ability to do that. Mm. Um, there's a fascinating statistic and for me depressing about South Shields, mm. they're campaigning there, the level of voter identification by the Labour Party was at 0.2%. That's 100 people who previously the in a different constituency. Mm. But just from my own experience, Labour doesn't have the ability to do, to have that conversation. Mm. It can do a stage-managed thing very nicely mm. um, and say, yes, this is what we're talking about, but it can't do it in any meaningful way. It can make able to communicate messages, but can't get them back. Mm-hmm. And perhaps recognising that to, to an extent and, it, it, you know, to the extent that political parties have a role in sort of communicating messages and the sort of, you know, the adversarial trips yeah. to the centre, it, yeah. it, it's lost that. I'm mean,
0: talking about, thinking about that, one model in a sense that Labour could use, I'm talking in Labour, <coughs> you know, Labour UK in a sense could use now, I'm talking Ed Miliband and so forth, is is the Welsh model, Welsh Welsh, labour in Wales model. Um, There was lots of talk, I'm sure you're aware of it, this this idea of clear red water between, you know, Tony Blair was always 20% less popular in Wales than he was in in England. That that sort of discussion, that they wanted to be further to the left. But but now, certainly in the last couple of years, they've started to embrace some of the aspects of Welsh nationalism. You know, they, they, they're challenging like Cymruy on that okay. idea. Now, there's, in a sense, there's a model You know, it's within the Labour family, there is a model that possibly may be used by the One Nation people to develop something of an English civic left nationalism. I don't know.
6: Potentially, yes, but um, whether this is the reality or not, Welsh nationalism is quote-unquote left. English yeah. nationalism is "quote unquote" right. Yeah. yeah, You know, English nationalism is Eon Powell. Yeah. or maybe that's British nationalism, but the two go together. Welsh nationalism is, you know, you're more modern. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. A, it's a yeah. it's a it's a different conception. Mm. Um, you know, with with you know, it's like a different package. But there's, there's,
0: there's a left-wing politics in England, isn't it? There's is an identifiable left-wing politics in England. I mean, identified by yeah. places like the LSE and the Fabians. and It's identified. We, we understand it, in a sense, don't we? We understand what English the English left are. Can't the English left create a civic nationalism? You know, they've created lots of other things in the last uh, 200 years. Can't they create that?
4: Well, I invented to palm for this, so I was reading palm yesterday, a Welsh language publication. Yeah. And uh, UKIP is really an English national party. Yeah. But it doesn't want to, uh, Englishness is um, not being extreme, it's um, speaking English and liking people who are like yourself, hmm. and uh, not uh, going beyond that. Now... If it would be an English National Party, it would be, you know, holding at very small meetings and that sort of thing. That's not what it's after. So it's going to call itself UKIP. And uh, that means it's got to have members in the Celtic nations. Now, the... uh, And they, of course, will say that, um, what are you going to say to people who think like us but live where we do and so then they've got to spread the you know the UK idea even further haven't they they dare not call themselves English because then there would be no room for them in the Celtic nations anyway this was a, 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 a actual statistical study of English what Englishness means in this month's barn, which I think anybody who can read Welsh to read. It's very good. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, I really like that talk by the way. Um, yeah. I think it's
5: really interesting when you look at like how you define Britishness, because in my PhD, you might see a look more on British culture and yeah. how it actually like has to imagine a community in a sense of benefitism mm. and, mm. and how you actually flag the nation on a continuous basis mm. like with Michael Billy. And I think um, that's where my question goes. So you said that mood labor was kind of embedded in the whole Kut movement, mm. but I think they actually followed it. So yeah. they actually right. just bandwidth it in a way. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah when I think about British identity I think about the Beatles mm. and Smith and yeah. so how do you think like that goes back to your way of thinking about the Welsh nationalism because you have quite a civic approach. Yeah. So I think when I think about the Welsh nationalism it's important about culture yeah. and like the language and the band is at preachers. So how do you bring yeah. that together? So is that not something to Way can relate back like, to British identity as well.
0: So is it like the Core Britannia wasn't so far away? did it just um, yeah. invoke the Welsh nationalism or? Uh, well people I mean, people in, in ways like those buttons as well. It's just that I think you happen to have that a generation of you happen it happens at times, isn't it? You happen in the sixties, yeah. you know, with the the Carnaby Street, uh, everything in London, you just, in Liverpool, obviously, Manchester is you just get those periods that, you know, culture, politics, whatever, Anyway, uh, you know, it comes back to collective identity and, and solidarity as well, that people just came together at the right time, and I think that that's, that's some of it. In terms of the culture, I mean, culturally, we haven't mentioned it, but if you, if you think of. Um, uh, you know traditions such, such as the ice dance in, in uh, take place um, within Wales, which has al- always been identified with cultural nationalism. But I mean, again, it's been it's been sort of perhaps on the fringe of being a, a political nationalist uh, um, gathering. But but it's been obvi- obviously ice dance is is uh, takes place through the medium of Welsh, so it's you know it, it's a it's a Welsh language. Um, in a sense, where people can fully express their, their Welshness, you know, they may they may not see themselves as political nationalists, but it's been a tradition there uh, that you know, people can express their Welshness, their linguistic nationalism, and their cultural nationalism alongside. So I think that comes into it. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm not a hundred <coughs> certain about how does that actually feed into. I mean, what, what you're saying I think was interesting initially about cool um, uh, Britannia or Labour following Cool Britannia, because I think, I mean, one of the great things with Labour, I think with, with Blair in the third way, is you know, Blair was very open in sense of, we take the best. So if the music's out there, and it's good music, we identify like with it, we have it. I mean, you know, this is representing the best, this is cool, this is new, this is, this is what we want for, for our uh, country, as Blair would have seen it. So um, I think they were very good at doing that. I think, I think that going back to the Labour One Nation project, they could possibly do that now. I mean, one of the things that we, you know, we, we give an example. I mean, I just give that example of, of Welsh Labour and what they've done. But I mean, there's also obviously many other examples throughout um, the mainland of Europe, you know, where where Labour could could look at examples. Uh, I mean, not just Labour. I'm talking about other possible groups on the left, and they can say, well, this this is what we want in terms of egalitarianism. This is what we want in terms of, you know representation of young people, feminism, etc., but we also, you know, like the idea that we are quite a distinct nation or region or however they want to define themselves, so there are those examples there. So it's not, you know, if we, if we play in the third-way game when we're looking at best practice, there are many examples, aren't there, you know, to follow,
6: so. That's so, it, you want to, you or you? Just, you're making the assumption that the Labour Party is still a left-wing party. Oh, right, okay, right, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another, that's another seminar, that, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Any other questions? We have it's just about, question. yeah, the two questions. One is pretty quick about the British nation, so the group, the Ultras, yeah. um, crossed over. And can we define also the UTP and the TUP, Northern Ireland, the Orangeist movement as a Ultra, British nation, although they are not present in the mainland, they are just confined. Mm, that's a good uh, question, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the, the willingness yeah. not to <laughs> not to, risk to, uh, to stay in the United Kingdom and the unwillingness until uh, the good fire agreement yeah, yeah. to add uh, a different arrangement for the, Europe, for the Northern Ireland, you know? so yeah. we don't want an independent state, we don't, yeah. of course, we let alone yeah. merging with uh, AWE, yeah. but we want to stay within, within the UK. You know? so. Yeah. Can we consider them as, a, as a Well I think you'd look at loyalism and you'd probably put loyalism in the ultras
0: yeah. without the shadow of doubt. I mean yeah. I, I think that if you're looking at those parties that are, that are now parties of government, know are D B obviously being the a, a, a party of government, they're probably mainstream now Because they've they, yeah.
2: they had to become mainstream in the sense. So there's
0: there's been a there's been a flip, there's been changes. Yeah, that's why I
2: said, yeah? especially before the flip-flip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, so, pretty much uh, yeah. the DUP has been forced to be a government. Yeah. So, they position they yeah. were more outlanders than the UUP, but yeah. then after, uh, because of their su- electoral success, they've mm. been forced to become um, a government party. Yeah, so yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, they had to change instrumentally yeah. the, the second one is. Sorry, the, just
0: at one point. I'm going to say the fascinating thing there, of course, about Stormont is you've got what can be defined as UK nationalists and Irish nationalists. You know, two different nationalisms of two, two different states yeah you know who are literally working together as one for, for the good of people of northern the north of Ireland, don't they you know so that's i mean that's that rarely happens we have two completely different nationalisms in a sense you know you've got you have competing nationalisms i would say that the nationalism of the conservative party is different to the nationalism of the BNP and ukip for example but you've got two different nations that are completely different nations. Sorry, go on.
2: The second point? Is, the, pretty the Greek is pretty much so British nationalism is pretty much a civic idea of measure. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the civic <coughs> idea should be like uh, linked to the idea of you know, the second was an idea of official measure. So pretty much uh, uh, an hegemonic ethnic group which try to homogenize, not to yeah. assimilate their own so... Can be perceived as British nationalism as a mild, the official nationalism, so not as forceful as the typical example of Russification, marginalization but a more mild and democratic way which trying to downplay, to downplay the cultural difference, ethnic differences. Mm. Yeah. Um, in, in different ways, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. UK is much more democratic than Russia was, and. Uh, yeah. Sid, do you have to on
3: that? I think it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Um, I, I mean, just to try and answer it, I think, I, I think it's, it's maybe two things. I mean, I think that the representation of it is, is, is the mild version of it. I, I think, I think that's true. But I mean, take Britishness in terms of international affairs. Take Britishness in terms of of um expeditionary warfare, expeditionary warfare. Um, that's not that's not mild, yeah. is it? In terms of the impact on
2: on the people at, at the at the receiving end I, I meant mild maybe the the way they you should be for more SATO, no more
3: I think I think what that comes back to is the question this is that is Britishness seen as a nationalism? Mm. And and it's it's something that and that's why <laughs> Trent, I'm trying to come here and talk about it is that is, is, is that you know nationally look it's the Welsh the Scots and the Irish nationalists mm. and the British are not. Right? You know, I mean I am exaggerating, but you have my point, right? And if you if you look back to um, the t- and again more work needs to be done on this, but I'm just putting it as an idea now, the nationalists and in fact as well another group we call the separatists, and that's the people in Scotland the SNP, right? <laughs> that you go back and that started with the Egyptians when when the when, you, when Egyptian the nationalists wanted you know Egypt not to be a rich colony, and of course. You know that term of Mangani, no, that Indian nationalist who wanted to separate from the British Empire. So these these kind of terms, you know, are, are I, I think for quite a bit back. I mean, I think it's interesting to trace the uh, the origin and use of the terms. But but certainly they, you know, nationalist from a, a British perspective or an Indian, is seem to be a term of abuse and. A, a British person, you know, or, or, or someone who believes in Britishness, would not see themselves as nationalists. And I think that's an area that needs to be debated
2: and discussed and challenged. Is that part of an answer? Maybe. Yeah. 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 also, is approach, I think there is usually a tendency to, there it, is a tendency also to alter colonel criticizing these books, the tendency to equate state and national, also yeah. the kind of term, no? Mm-hmm. And in this case, it, uh, I think you know, it tend to be, of uh, course, if uh, there is no relations, uh, a relation between the culture, the cultural nation, mm-hmm. and uh, state, a territorial state. There is a tendency to downgrade mm-hmm. everything which is not related to the state as a region, tribal, mm-hmm. you no, know, like so. That's uh, why I said that uh, mm-hmm. the regional is approve. You know, mm-hmm. So then you you call you no know, the Basque regionalism the. Mm. I'm from, uh, I'm not english I'm Italian, but, uh, I'm from Sardinia. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we then, uh, in the past, we had also this kind of little yeah. independentist approach where really, really, also because we are island, it's easier, if you are an island, mm. it's, easier to, it's easier to be self-confined. And so, you know, I, yeah. uh, I think that was my idea. <laughs> Uh, no, there is a tendency yeah, to yeah. to tell, talk about nation states, state nation. No, there is a lot of mm-hmm. uh, This nation state is just about monarethnic yes, states. Yeah. And so this is the fact of reward in the fact the meaning of national identity,
0: ethnic yeah. yeah. identity. Well, that's a, it, I think you know it's fascinating what you're saying and, and it's interesting that big state nationalisms and big state nationalists hate being called nationalists. Because one thing that the Basques and the Catalans and the Galicians do, of course, all the time, is they refer to people in Madrid as the Spanish Nationalists, and they hate it. They are Spanish Nationalists, but they, they, they hate the idea that they are Spanish Nationalists. And it's, very, it's a very sort of some similar thing. And I think that's one of, the, one of the issues with people in the Labour Party. I mean, I know one example, I'll tell you later, of one Labour MP who was, on one occasion, called a British Nationalist, and was just absolutely livid. I'm not a British nationalist. I could never be a British nationalist. He <laughs> he was so overwhelmingly a British nationalist. It's almost like it's it's, it's a sense of denial, isn't it? A denial of denial of the self and the denial of the ideology. You know, it's um, Americans hate being called nationalists or imperialists. You know, they, they, they can't cope with that one. You know, they they do their duty in the world. So it's uh, but that but that's very interesting. How almost like the smaller the nationalism, the the problem you are to have the nationalist badge. The big nationalists is, keep, keep it away from me. No, don't leave me with that. One, so.
1: Anyway. Uh, okay, thank you very much for coming through amazing Hi, Thank you very <laughs> It
2: was a very great
1: presentation. Thank
2: so you Thank you all for coming. If you're interested in this topic, we will have two other seminars. Uh, one is about non-territorial models of autonomy and its ability to deal with the tensions between emerging nationalism and the other is questioning a little multiculturalism has failed, so you are very welcome to join us for the next few weeks. Uh,
3: thank you again.